Okay, hello everyone. Hope you're doing well out there. So we're continuing in our sermon series on the book of John, the Gospel of John. And we'll be looking at chapter 13 today, so you can please turn there. And the very end of the chapter, the last three verses, verses 36 to 38. John chapter 13, beginning with verse 36. This is God's holy word. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me, follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word once again. Lord, we pray that you would bless us now as we seek to understand it and to apply it to our lives, to our situation. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would aid us now and guide us and help us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, have you ever seen something that you knew was about to go wrong? Maybe it was like a glass sitting on the edge of a table, you knew it was about to fall off, or um, a bag that's overloaded, you know it's about to burst, or maybe a man standing on a crooked old ladder, and you're looking at it and you think, he's about to fall and hurt himself, right? So there are many things in life that we can see there are precursors we know something bad is about to happen. And this idea is taken a step further in a lot of science fiction films, like Minority Report, maybe you've watched with Tom Cruise. The characters know with great accuracy what bad things are going to happen, the bad actions that a person is going to commit in the future, even down to the exact time that the crime is to occur. And with this knowledge, the characters, they often seek to judge or even kill that person. So in response to that, this person that's accused, of course, they're indignant. They, they don't believe it. They're shocked that they would ever commit that crime, that they would be part of that, that they would do that. See, this is part of our natural, our human nature. Now, in today's sermon passage, the Lord Jesus, he makes a stunningly accurate and detailed description of Peter's future actions. Now, of course, the Lord, he's able to predict the future. Why? Not because of some special technology, but because he's God. He's God himself. 
He has what we call exhaustive foreknowledge. He knows the past, the present, and the future completely, all events. And despite Peter's protests that he would never deny Christ, that he would never leave him, Jesus tells Peter that he would, in fact, deny him three times that very night before the rooster crowed. And yet, Christ does, he doesn't use this information as a reason to abandon Simon. He doesn't abandon him. But rather, Jesus, he uses it as an opportunity to make clear that only he, Christ alone, can accomplish this mission of salvation on the cross. And to assure Peter that though he would fall terribly, he would indeed follow him to the cross in due time. So this is the main theme we want to see in today's text. The fall is preceded by what? Preceded by pride. And we'll look at this in three points in the text. The ignorance of pride, the overconfidence of pride, and the foreknowledge of pride. So first of all, verse 36 The fall is preceded by the ignorance of pride. Look again at verse 36, and let's read it. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Now Peter mistakenly thinks that he can follow Jesus, but he doesn't even understand where Jesus is going. You see that? He asks him, where are you going? He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what's about to happen. And this is in spite of the fact that Jesus had explained this to his disciples. He had explained it to them many times before. And yet, here, Peter, kind of the leader of them, Representative, he doesn't, he doesn't get it. And I can think of like the scene of a, a young boy trying to follow his older brother into battle. And the young boy is taking along, wants to go to war with him. But this boy does not even understand what war is. He certainly doesn't know how to use a weapon properly. And yet he wants to join the battle. And this is kind of the case with Peter here. So Proverbs 19.2 speaks about this kind of attitude. It says, desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. But I want you also to notice how patient the Lord is. How patient the Lord is with Peter in explaining the situation to him. Despite Peter's pride, his prideful ignorance, you know, we, it's easy to get annoyed at ignorance, at ignorant people. This is something that really bugs, bugs me, if I'm honest. Except I have to realize that I am ignorant about a great many things as well. 
right? But the Lord, he shows great patience to Peter in his prideful ignorance. His failure to understand, his failure to support Christ's mission as he ought to have. So we too ought to have great patience with others when they show ignorance. It's hard to do, but it's important to show the grace of Christ to others. Knowing that we ourselves are also ignorant of many things. So our spiritual pride, it's often connected with a lack of understanding, as it was for Peter. What he really didn't understand was the seriousness of what Christ was about to do. The seriousness of the cross. And so he was trying to join him in that terrible mission. You see, we often as well downplay downplay the spiritual warfare, the spiritual battle that exists, that we that is the reality of this world. We downplay of what it means to die to the world and to die to sin and die to our fleshly desires. We downplay it practically oftentimes like Peter, thinking we can jump into it and take care of this and handle this ourselves. Because we're ignorant. We're ignorant of the true suffering, the true cost of the cross. And this this brings us to the second point in verse 37. The fall is preceded by overconfidence. Overconfidence of pride. Look at verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. So Peter is putting faith, not in Christ, but in himself. In his own ability. Rather than humbly realizing that the Lord alone had the ability to carry out this mission successfully. And as Donald read for us, Proverbs 16, verse 18, speaks of this kind of attitude. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. So Peter, here he displays this prideful overconfidence in in himself in his own spiritual ability. And notice how he reverses the role of him in Christ. Simon thinks that he can lay down his life for Christ, that he will lay down his life for Jesus, rather than the other way around, that Christ is in fact the one who needs to lay down his life for him. This just shows how out of touch Peter was with reality and his own extreme overconfidence. And Matthew Henry, the Puritan, says about this passage, he says, the most secure are often, are commonly the least safe. And those most shamefully betray their own weakness that most confidently presume 
upon their own strength. You know, there are lots of examples of this in history, but I, I think about the Titanic, the sinking of the Titanic, right? And how full of pride they were in their ship and how it was built. And one of the presidents of the company, he said this, there is no danger that the Titanic will sink. The boat is unsinkable and nothing but inconvenience will be suffered by the passengers. Well, we know from history that that wasn't the case, right? Many of them died in that sinking of that, that great ship. And so it is often with ourselves that we are so full of pride and think that we can do something that we're unsinkable. But no, apart from the grace of God, we are very sinkable. So we often rush into situations without prayer, without going to the Lord and seeking his will. We think we can handle it ourselves. Now, you, you might not think of it as pride, um, but the fact is you can, be, you can appear on the outside, I think, very meek. You can appear to be very meek and humble in one sense, to people, and yet live a prayer, prayerless life. I know this is so often true of myself, but what is that the root of prayerlessness? Not going to the Lord in prayer when we ought to. There's a pride that's there. That we think that we can handle it without going to the Lord, without praying to him. But we can see a contrast here in, in the Gospels between Peter's overconfidence, Peter's and all the other disciples we read of in the Garden of Gethsemane of their lack of prayer, that they fell asleep at the wheel, that the Lord begged with them to stay up and pray with him, that they might not fall to temptation. But they fell asleep. They didn't see the reality, the seriousness, the gravity of the situation. And there's a contrast there with the Lord's attitude when he's in the garden. He's about to go through this great trial of the cross. And he comes with a deep prayer to the Lord. He cries out, Lord, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So even Jesus was praying this, take this cup from me. And yet Peter, he wants to just jump into it and go for it. He has no understanding of what the suffering is involved, what suffering is involved here. This brings us to our third point. A fall is preceded by God's foreknowledge of pride. Look at verse 38. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So I think about um, 
a spoiler. Spoilers for movies, right? Now, it's not much of a spoiler when you expect it to happen, when it's not surprising. But something is really a spoiler when it's completely unexpected. And this is when we're most disturbed to hear a spoiler, right? And this must have been quite a shocking spoiler for Peter. He's at the height of his proud self-confidence. He thinks that he can do it, that he is supremely loyal to the Lord. And he's professing this loyalty to Jesus, saying, I can do it. And here, that very moment, he's told, no, you won't. You will, in fact, deny me. You'll deny me not just once, but three times this very night. Now, we, we have here an amazing display, right, of Christ's divinity, that he is true, truly the God-man, fully God. See, only God, only God has this kind of knowledge. Like I said before, we call it exhaustive foreknowledge. Only the Lord knows completely every future action. You see, the Lord alone is timeless. He's eternal. He ordains all things that come to pass. And so only he has that kind of knowledge. And we can see here, at the same time, though the Lord has that foreknowledge, that understanding that he knows what's going to happen completely, at the same time, we, we are not any, under any compulsion to act a certain way, any outside compulsion. It's not as if the Lord is forcing us to do anything. You see, we are completely responsible for everything we do. And yet, Psalm 139 tells us clearly, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You see, the Lord knows every, every action we're going to do, every good thing and every bad thing, from beginning to end. He knows us much better than we know ourselves. So the Lord, Jesus, he already knew that Peter's pride would lead him to deny him. And fully knowing this, Jesus, he doesn't excuse Peter's sin, but he does give him a type of assurance here. It's interesting. Because what does he tell Peter? He tells him that he will indeed follow in his path. He will follow him, not now, but later. In due time. And what is he talking about? What? will Peter follow him in? Peter will follow him in death, but not only that, but follow him to glory. After he's prepared to do so, and we can read in church tradition that Peter was in fact 
martyred in Rome about three decades later. And it's said that he was also crucified, even upside down. So sin, it, it can impede our experience of full assurance, to be sure. But nonetheless, the Lord, he does offer Peter here grace and a kind of assurance, even despite his dreadful lapse into sin. And, and that's true of us as well. And when we look at Peter and his denials, I know we can see ourselves. We can see ourselves in them clearly, can't we? If we're honest with ourselves, that we too have denied Christ at times, just like Peter And as we look at Peter, this can help us to understand some, some other verses as well. Because Jesus says something in Matthew 10 about those who deny him. So he says there, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father, who is in heaven. I know many of us read this verse, and it's a very scary verse. We say, but I've denied Christ before men. Right? Well, I want you to remember, so did Peter. So did Peter. This verse is talking about something else. We can compare, I think, Peter with Judas, right? And this verse in Matthew 10 is really describing someone like Judas. And his denial is betrayal of Christ. We know that for Peter, this, this denial that he did at this time, it didn't characterize his life. But he, after this, goes before the world and acknowledges Christ and preaches him. And we see the Lord's work in his life. We see the Holy Spirit working even through this fall. It was a means by which he was humbled. And there's a reason that the Holy Spirit included it in the gospel for us to learn from. So Peter's denial is much different than Judas's because at the end of the day, he had a true and living faith in Christ that Judas didn't have. Now, it's amazing that the Lord knows in complete detail exactly exactly how we will pridefully sin against him before we even do it. And yet, there's no, there's no buyer's remorse, so to speak, with God. You see, he's already declared us, even before we commit such sins, he's already declared 
us righteous in him. And we know this was true for Peter at this moment too. He'd been declared perfectly righteous based upon the righteousness of Christ. He had a right standing. Brothers and sisters, we have a right standing before God that cannot be taken away. And this was declared upon us, even with God fully knowing how we would sin against him. So just just like Christ told Peter that he would follow him, we can take that for ourselves as well. If we truly believe in Christ, we will indeed follow him. We'll follow him with death to this world and to glory, ultimately. But we're called as believers to learn humility and dependence from our falls into sin, to hate them, and yet to follow afterward, to pick up our cross in his footsteps, to be crucified with him and die to this world and to ourselves. So, church, as we've seen, pride is indeed what goes before the fall into sin. It's what goes before denying Christ. And this pride is manifested in ignorance and overconfidence in yourself. And it leads to a fall that is already known precisely by the Lord. So what should we do? What should we do to combat the pride that's in our hearts? I think the most important thing we can do to battle against this pride is to acknowledge our own weakness by humbling ourselves in prayer, especially as we encounter trials and temptations. We know that we are in the midst of a trial, that this world is in the midst of a trial right now. And let's remember that trial in the garden of Gethsemane. The Lord rebuked Peter and the other disciples for their lack of prayer, for their falling asleep while the cross was about to come upon him. Their allegiance to him would be tested. But let us learn from their fall. Let us come to the Lord humbly in prayer during this time. This plague is going around the world. Let, let it bring us to our knees. You know, prayer is not easy. You might think of it as something that's easy. It's not easy. I think it's the most difficult task. The most difficult task of the Christian. I also think it's the most important task we have. Now, we live in a world that mocks prayer. It kind of views the prayer as a waste of time. That we should be doing something that we should be doing something else with our time. It's how much the world looks at it. 
But my hope is that through this crisis, we as a church will be formed into a people of prayer. I know already in my own life that the Lord's been using this to put me on my knees more than I have in the past. And I'm thankful for that. And I hope that's true for you as well. We need to recognize our own inability to deliver ourselves. Instead, seek our help, our salvation in Christ, in him, in his sacrifice. For he is the one who is truly sovereign over all these things. So in closing, hear this exhortation from 1 Corinthians 10. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Would you join me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we can stand righteous, declared righteous, based upon your work on the cross, based upon your perfect obedience. But Lord, we pray that during this time, as the world suffers, as it is brought to its knees, Lord, we pray that we would be brought to our knees. Lord, that we would repent of our pride, that we would repent of our prayerlessness. Father, we pray that you would use this time to show us the utter necessity of prayer, that we would seek you, seek your aid at every moment, and pray without ceasing. Lord, we thank you, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.